The Everyman <laughs> Podcast. So saucy, bro. Oh, God. So saucy. Uh, call me the sauce. Sauce. Give Put me a ladle. On it. A ladle. I'll tell you what, Daryl. Pour it on, bro. Just pour it on. Smother it. You might even want to say spread it on. Spread it. Let me tell you something, brother. It's Wednesday. It is. And that can only mean one thing. It's time for another episode of the Everyman Podcast. Rocking it. Literally rocking it. Rocketing it. That's kind of like what we do. Hmm. It is what we do. And, you know, we've been having a blast here. So much fun. The last couple months. We've really been kind of shooting ourselves into the stars, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's been it. it's been kind of like one adventure after another. Yeah. And and one of the cool things about the Everyman podcast, Daryl, is is we we branch out. As we, we as we we're soon to find out this week. We like to branch out. We like to get into everything. You know? And and yeah. Call us crazy. We like to have the world's greatest musicians on this podcast. People like John Petrucci. People like Mike Mangini. People like Blake Richardson. People like Dusty Waring. People like Matt Halpern. People like Mm -hmm. Kaz Rodriguez. Mm -hmm. Kenny Mm -hmm. Aronoff. Yeah. Andy McKee. Yeah. Paul Wagoner. Yeah. Yeah. But we also like to have professional athletes, world-class talent, Jeremy Holtz Mm -hmm. of the world. Quarterback Matt McGloin's of the world. Yeah. You know? Sounds about right. Yeah. The everyman. The every woman. But today, we've got a guest that is literally doing things above, beyond, below. Just any any direction you can go, this, this gentleman is doing it. His name is Dylan Dickstein. He, he's, he's a returning guest on the Everyman podcast. He is literally the most qualified man I know. He's yeah. a he's a PhD candidate, so his 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 thesis, his research paper was just accepted into a, a scientific journal, major recognized scientific journal. He's a scuba diver. Mm-hmm. He's a pilot. Yeah. He's an EMT. He's a marathon runner. Yeah. He's a scientist. Yeah. He's a f- damn videographer. Yeah. He's just like. And I'm sure I'm I'm sure I'm forgetting something else that this gentleman does at the highest level possible. He's an aerospace engineer. Soon he's going to yeah, be dude. a doctor. Probably the next time he comes on this podcast, he's we're going to be calling him doctor. Yeah. Um, and you know he's a prospective astronaut. He's in. He's currently in the uh, NASA 2020 2021 astronaut pool. The the competition basically to become an astronaut. That is like the highest level of high levels that uh, that it gets. And this gentleman is here today on the Everyman Podcast to kind of tell us all about his adventures. So last time he was on the podcast, episode 38 in the archives, he was telling us like, oh man, in like five days I'm leaving for a trip to Antarctica. And we're like, mm-hmm. you know, skirt, what? Yeah. I didn't even know you can go there. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about the first half hour of the podcast. We talk about Antarctica and that adventure and sleeping on the ice and pooping in the ice and penguins and you know it's just it's amazing okay and then we talk about his his current journey you know what's going on with the with the with the astronaut pool and how far along he is on that so um really awesome conversation super thankful for dylan's time 
Hell yeah. Um, you know, we set this up. Uh, we've been going back and forth and, um, you know, check out his social media. He, he posts a lot of really interesting stuff because he's always doing something interesting. Um, yeah. You know, check out his YouTube. You know, the links for his YouTube channel are going to be in the show notes uh, on, the, on this on the audio version of the podcast. And also, you know, this is a great one to watch on uh, on the YouTube. If you guys are listening to this, you haven't checked out the YouTube channel yet, head over there, subscribe, hit the little bell so you get the notifications when we go live or we have a video up. And, you know, just strap in and enjoy it and uh, hop in that cosmic canoe with us as we uh, as we get with it with Mr. Dylan Dickstein, brother. You that. Joining us today on the Everyman Podcast is easily the single most qualified young man I've ever met. Uh, he is a pilot, a scuba diver, certified EMT. He is a PhD candidate who was recently just had his uh, research paper published. And uh, he's a prospective astronaut. He's our friend, our brother, ladies and gentlemen, Dylan Dickstein. Dylan, what's up, man? Glad to be here. Dude. And I'm back. You're back. back. You made it. And, and you know, uh, if, you, if you guys are listening here for the first time on the Everyman Podcast, or maybe you just hopped in the canoe recently, Dylan was on the show back in episode 38 in the archives. You can check that out. We had a great conversation kind of about Dylan's history, what made him want to kind of get into space literally, um, and, and kind of his career up until that point. And when we left him, he was about five days away from going to Antarctica. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we said we kept in touch, you know, and uh, I'm always keeping up with your social media. You know, obviously, these uncertain circumstances of COVID-19 come up. Everything changes kind of for, for us and in some ways for Dylan, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, you, you went to Antarctica. You made it. I'm back. And you're back. So, yeah. Let's just start there. What is that? What is that journey like? What's that that transportation like? Was it brutal? Uh, so I should share first off why I I, I went in the first place. Uh, I, ultimately, I am a uh, I'm in the running right now for the NASA astronaut selection, uh, and as part of the people who take this uh, process seriously, one of the things you want to show NASA is that you can handle extreme conditions and still be productive. Uh, and one of the favorites uh, is to do something in Antarctica because it's just a, it's a frigid place and it's uh, very far away from hospitals and other things that can keep you safe. And, and if you can come back uh, having done something worth doing, that's a, it's a nice indicator that you can be productive in tough environments. And I, uh, I found a scientific expedition that was going down there in November and uh, joined this uh, ship. Uh, that was a two-week mission uh, in, uh, in Antarctica. And the, uh, because I'm, I'm where I am in Los Angeles, I mean, any, anyone, any of us in Northern, North America, that's quite a ways away. Uh, like, uh, yeah. I, it's 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 already a few flights to even get to a place where you can pick up a boat, uh, and so the way that goes is from Los Angeles you can take a flight to like Colombia, uh, to Bogota, uh, or to Chile in Santiago, which we did. Then we took another flight to Buenos Aires, Argentina, uh, already very far away, 
then uh, another third flight from Buenos Aires, Argentina, uh, down to Ushuaia, Argentina, the very southern tip of the Americas. And this is as far as, you know, some people get ever. Like, and, and this is already very far. <laughs> uh, like, uh, when people would usually share, yeah, I went to the southern tip of the, of the Americas. Like, this is a, a very unusual thing to say, but that's like, you know, people don't typically say, oh, but how come you didn't go further? Like, you know, that's, that's, that's far enough. <laughs> it's the but, bottom. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and sure enough, in Ushuaia, there was a, a boat uh, waiting for uh, the uh, couple hundred people uh, and me. And uh, it's a, a two-day crossing uh, uh, through the Drake Passage, which is famous for you know, killing sailors uh, hundreds of years ago. And uh, it's some of the worst waters in the world just because the waves are awful and the winds are terrible and it's cold. Uh, and it's about four to 500 miles from the southern tip of South America to the start of Antarctica. And you're in the middle of the ocean for two days as it's getting colder every hour and it's getting windier. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. It, it's, uh, you, you know you're going somewhere crazy when it's already cold and you're just like, I don't know why I'm... Like, it's just getting worse. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and this boat, it, it was equipped with some, some basic things. It, it did have a, a treadmill. And, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a runner, uh, and uh, we can talk about my marathon too. Actually, since uh, please, since, uh, yeah, nice. uh, but I but I, I enjoy running, and uh, you can imagine when you're on a boat like this, it's difficult to get exercise, especially if you're endure, used to endurance uh, exercise. And uh, well, they did have a treadmill. So I, uh, one morning, uh, the morning we were supposed to arrive in Antarctica, it was incre incredibly cloudy, and uh, it was cold outside, but I, I'm, I'm in their gym on their treadmill. So I was wearing this, uh, black tank top and shorts, uh, and I'm, I'm inside, you know, it, it's, it's warm in there. It's 70 Fahrenheit. It's comfortable for a gym. I'm doing my couple miles and this gym has a little window you can see outside <laughs> and like a couple miles in, I, I'm like, what, what is, what is that? And sure enough, there's like this uh, white block that's kind of coming out of the clouds. And I'm like, is that, is that what I think that is? And then sure enough, we're getting closer. And then finally, there's like, it's clear that there's a, it's ice that's like coming out of the clouds. And finally, it, it gives way. You can see this just ginormous, just, just iceberg. Uh, and it was like, oh, shoot. Uh, and, uh, and then finally, the clouds started to part ways. And then you can see actually the start of what is the northern part of Antarctica. And it was just this crazy thing. I was like not in any position to be looking at Antarctica as I'm running on this treadmill. Uh, and uh, mind you, the waves are doing this. So like my running is probably like <laughs> awful. I was going to say the only thing that could possibly be worse than running on a treadmill is like running on a treadmill in choppy water. And, yeah. you right. know, that's like exactly. got to be unbelievable. It, it, yeah, it, like uh, I was getting more of like a trail running experience, <laughs> <laughs> like Rocky cross country. <laughs> exactly, uh, but sure enough, I'm, I'm like, oh, I gotta see it. I, I don't really care what I'm wearing. I, 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 you know, this is amazing. And so I also was plenty warm from having just gone on a run. I go outside, and sure enough, there are plenty of other people standing against the railing, all in their parkas. 
Uh, and the wind chill is like zero Fahrenheit. Uh, and uh, and everyone's bundled up, and I'm in my tank top, uh, <laughs> and also end up being one of the younger people on the boat too. And so I think I stood out like a sore thumb. And they're like, "Who's this crazy guy?" You know, like we have like people in like these red parkas and like you know their fur pelts, and then this guy in a black Patagonia tank top. They're nice. like uh, Americans. That's probably what they're, they're thinking. Fucking, they're like fucking badasses, probably. What they're <laughs> saying, dude. Uh, but that that was my introduction to the continent. It was amazing. Then I finally went downstairs and put on some real clothes, and uh, and uh, we arrived that day. And uh, spent uh, about a week and a half uh, at different islands doing uh, various species identification, looking at seals and whales and penguins. And uh, also did some, uh, we got some krill samples from the Antarctic waters. uh, And we were able to compare that against different islands and see what kind of plastic content uh, was in each of these uh, krill. In different parts of Antarctica to, to understand the microplastics there. So I got a few points I want to hit on here about about the boat specifically. Yeah. So you know I'm I'm thinking about this this journey and I'm trying to put myself in your shoes and I can only really think of two things. One is the scene in Mortal Kombat the movie. Um, where they're kind of coming up to the boat. It's all foggy and this like dilapidated dragon <laughs> boat comes up and there's like, you know, lightning ninjas and all this shit. And you're kind of looking at it. It's like, well, okay. You know, I, I know this is a bad, like I'm metaphorically, like, you know, you're getting on this boat and you're going to Antarctica, but you're doing it anyway. And you're like, I know what I'm getting myself into. I see the, I see the, 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 the lightning ninjas uh, and I'm going to go with it. Um, you know, or like King Kong where like, they're going to the island and it's like, oh yeah, this is not too bad. And then something weird happens. And the next right. thing you know, there's Skull Island and there's a dinosaur and King Kong. Like, were at any point you like, you're going on that journey. You're going to Bogota and you're going to Argentina. And then you're like, I still got to get on this boat. And then you get there and you're like, maybe the boat won't be there and we'll just have to go home. Like, th- this is what I'm thinking. Like, what right. kind of shit is going through your head like that? Are you like, are you like, is this, was the boat spooky? You know, like, was it was it ominous because of where it's going? You know, um, what was that like for you? Right. I mean, I, this was the certainly the farthest I'd ever been from home. It's hard, hard to get much farther unless you go upward. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and so certainly there's a lot of logistics that get into go into getting there. Uh, it was a day and a half of just, you know, getting to the boat. Uh, so that was like, okay, please let me get my luggage to the third place. Okay, good. I have my luggage. Uh, okay, now I'm at this boat. Okay, I see the boat. Good. The boat's there. Okay, where's my luggage? Okay, my luggage was found <laughs> on my boat. Uh, and uh, uh, and then the first day you get on the boat, too, you have to be fitted for your some of some clothes they provide. They give you boots that are uh, meant for the ice uh, and they give you a, uh, a dry suit uh, for certain activities. Uh, so you, if you're near the water, you, you won't get wet. Uh, and so a lot of logistics. And, and certainly, like, the more you do this, especially on the first day, you're like, oh, my goodness. Like, like you know, what, what are we getting ourselves into? <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I think, honestly, that, that two-day crossing of Drake Passage, it, it gives you some time to, uh, to realize what you're about to do. And, uh, and then finally, that third day when you get there, it was like this amazing opportunity and experience where you're like, you feel very comfortable and you're excited. It's, it's not this like, you know, anxiety. 
Uh, the uh, now one thing that was uh, that that was uh, a, a bit challenging was uh, the, the camping uh, experience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> most of the nights we spent on the boat. Like uh, we had a we had each everyone had a, a place to, to sleep. Uh, but there was for those who were interested, uh, you could uh, you could spend a night on the ice. And uh, and I, I opted to do this. I wanted to see what that was like. And uh, and first time I'd ever camped on ice, camped while it was snowing, camped while uh, glaciers were falling next to me, and and first time ever I'd heard a seal snort next to my campsite. <laughs> nice. Uh, we had a penguin that wanted to enter my, my tent. And then it's like, these, these are things you don't get in most camping experiences. Right. Well, I hear uh, the penguins can be quite aggressive. Um, I watched uh, some documentary about penguins. It wasn't March of the Penguins. That people, oh, March of right. the Penguins. It was something else. It was like a gritty Probably one. Probably Happy Feet, right? Yeah, it was Happy Feet. Yeah, they were, it was a documentary. It was a CGI favorites. documentary. <laughs> little dancers. They're so sweet. No, but they can be like, they're like kind of like ducks. Like penguins can be a little, you know aggressive with their with their desires um do you see any weird penguin activity uh the the penguins uh i mean also there are so many different types of penguins uh the uh the ones that are the largest are much farther south and on the eastern part of antarctica where where we are where we were uh in the in the peninsula there's uh adeli penguins there's gentoo uh, and uh, and chin straps. These are uh, a little bit smaller, and at least the time of the year where we, when we were there, not aggressive. Uh, in fact, of all the animals, they were some of the most docile because uh, they are the top of the food chain. These ah. tiny little cute things that don't know how to walk uh, are actually the top of the food chain on the land portion of Antarctica. Sweet. Uh, they, uh, that's why they're not well adapted to their own place because no one's trying to eat them. That's, nice. that's pretty cool. And, and, you know, you made some awesome videos, which the, the links are going to be in the show notes here on, on the audio version of the YouTube page. So you guys can check that out for yourself, uh, at your viewing pleasure. But, um, you have some amazing shots of the campsite and, you know, just again, just kind of how my brain works. I'm, I'm looking at the campsite and, you know, um, just like any, you know, national park, like Yosemite or whatever you go to, like, you can't leave trash. You know, you can't leave uh, a mess behind you. So, you know, I'm thinking, you know, how, how did you poop? Like, what is the bathroom situation like in, right. on, on Antarctica? Mm-hmm. Like, are you pooping in a bucket and then you're bringing it back to the boat and dumping it into the thing, basically? Yeah, I mean, you got it. Uh, ultimately, you, you can't leave a trace. And uh, Antarctica has some of the most stringent policies on this uh you you can't pee on the ice either uh and so the uh a couple of the staff uh brought a latrine this makeshift latrine uh effectively a bucket uh and and, uh just for people's privacy it was put kind of near the water a little bit a little bit away from the tent site and uh yeah if you need to go you just walk over there and go must have been a beautiful shit oh my gosh like okay yeah i'll just sit here i can sit here all day just let it loose bro yeah and uh and so i i had to go number one once middle of the night uh and uh, and mind you the uh this was in november which is kind of like uh uh late spring in uh like early summer in in antarctica because they're on the southern hemisphere 
Uh, and uh, and so it's light a lot. The darkest it gets is maybe 2 a.m. in the morning, and it's still bright enough to see that your hand in front of your face. Mm. Uh, but it's dark enough to where you don't really know what's going on. I had a little he- headlamp, uh, but I went to go to urinate, and uh, it's down by the water. And sure enough, uh, I'm, I'm midstream, and I, I hear this like very breathy, a nostril breath from something, very <laughs> close, and and I'm like, oh my goodness! Uh, which one of my and, which one of my uh, scientist mates here is watching me pee? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I I kind of like you know do the best to turn around, and I can't see anything, but I like kind of like you know pause what I'm doing, and uh, and realize that a seal. Uh, is uh, really close. <laughs> nice. Uh, and uh, I, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I mean, I'm clearly in the middle of nature here. I, I didn't feel nervous by what was going on, but it was definitely surprising. It was a, a, certainly like this is not something you experience when you're when you're going number one. You know, Damn. I I was in San Diego with my fiance this past January, and um, went to La Jolla for the first time, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was like. Hey, people, the sign says don't approach the seals, you know, and then there's like various tourists from all over the world, like, you know, like getting up there and taking exactly, selfies yeah. with these things. And I'm like, dude, that's not a good idea. But like I was they get bitten. Yeah, yeah like they dude. were just like so uh, docile and weird. but I guess those those are like, you know, used to that kind of behavior. But um, so did you feel any sort of like uh, vibe? You know, like, did, did anything about Antarctica, Antarctica feel, like, uh, special or, like, you're like, man, that's kind of a weird energy. Because, like, it's kind of like when you go out into the mountains, you know, you get away from all the Wi-Fi. You know, like, it's just anecdotal, but maybe it's, uh, maybe there's something to it. But you feel like a certain, you know, you're in the middle of the woods when you're camping or whatever. Um, you're, like, like you said, you're as far away from civilization, really, as you can get. Did you feel any sort of difference? Right. I uh... I, because ultimately the, the, one of the objectives of the, of the experience was also to perform some science. Uh, you, 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 there wasn't, there weren't so many opportunities to just kind of like be one with nature, but, uh, I did, I did have, uh, an, an experience that was like most like this, uh, on that night of camping. And I, I try to capture a little bit of it in the video, but, uh, but certainly uh, me, maybe me expressing this would be more accurate. Uh, I had set up my tent and, uh, and, you know, just had an opportunity to kind of explore. We, we had, a uh, an area that we were able to walk around and, uh, it was, it was a rather generous area. You can go pretty far away from the, the tents. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I did that. I, I walked kind of to the ends and, sat down not far from the water and uh, just laid down the ice. I was wearing plenty of clothes, and so I, I didn't feel cold. And I just kind of looked up at the uh, the stars, you know, down Antarctica, and it's like, wow, these are the same stars you can see in Los Angeles or anywhere else. And, uh, and that's kind of like this cool connecting hmm. aspect to where you are. And yet there is, yeah, you are far from civiliz- civilization. It, it, it would take days for you to go anywhere uh, with a major city. And uh, it was silent. It was so quiet, and it was beautiful. And the only thing you could you could hear 
were just like these penguin colonies miles away multiple miles away and you hear them like echoing through like the the mountains in a way and like the way like their their calls would bounce off the glaciers it was something i had never experienced and uh, i was like wow these guys never sleep but this is a uh, is really cool and and uh i actually nodded off uh on the ice i was just laying on my back and i just fell asleep for maybe maybe 20 minutes and i uh, felt very peaceful very relaxed and kind of slowly woke up at some point and I was like, I probably should get to my tent. And then I looked to my right and about four feet away, uh, a gen two penguin had decided to, uh, to sit down next to me. Wow. Oh, cool, dude. Yeah. It, it That's was so like, cool. What the heck? I was, I'm sleeping with the penguin. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and it, it didn't mind my presence at all. It was super docile. It just like, I don't know, maybe thought I was good company. Uh, who knows? Uh, and it was just like this amazingly amazing like experience you you would never experience anywhere else. Dude, that's, that's so fucking cool. sweet, man. <laughs> Yo, you gotta tell me about the videos because like some of those penguins just came right up to you, bro. Like you got some awesome shots. Thank you. Yeah, I, you uh, the yeah you can get relatively close uh, about six feet uh, two meters is is what they suggest as the closest you get to a penguin and you know you do your best like ultimately you can like plant yourself six feet from a penguin but at some point you can only do so much because a penguin might choose to come toward you right right and uh if you if by moving you're you know endangering other penguins or other people or or, uh, or getting into its way, you, it's, it's better just to stay put and let it kind of walk over your foot yeah. uh, than to uh, try to move. And, and that's how you, you can get these amazing, uh, like, up-close interactions with these animals. It's pretty sweet. Can you talk about the cold? Like, I'm from Chicago, and yeah. we got cold. But, like... Is it really that cold? Dude, it's... But it you're, from, you're from Southern California, though. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, because, like you said... Chicago, you know, I was in Rochester, Minnesota in, in January, you know, once, and it was like fucking 10, negative 10 with the wind chill. Like, what's real zero? Like, how cold is that? Right. Uh, and and I, I have to give it to you, though, like in, in Chicago in the winter is worse temperature wise <laughs> than uh, a lot of Antarctica. <laughs> uh, and Antarctica, you have to kind of, you know, recall that a lot of it is... Uh, a lot of the places that you would experience in Antarctica are close to water. Mm-hmm. And, when, and when you're close to like large bodies of water, bigger than the Great Lakes, uh, it controls the temperature quite a bit. And so you have to go really inland for it to get uh, frigid cold. Uh, what you do get on the coast, though, and any part of Antarctica is wind. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when, there was one day when we had hurricane force winds uh, and we could not go outside uh, uh, except for just a certain part of the boat and, uh, uh you know, out of curiosity and, and maintaining some, uh, a good level of safety, I, I wanted to, ex- to see what that ex- felt like. And sure enough, uh, uh, it was the coldest I'd ever felt, uh, mm-hmm. and the windiest, uh, going outside in this, uh, equivalent to a category one hurricane, but in like a frozen environment, that was a really interesting experience. And it, it was cold. I mean, certainly like, uh, more than just a few minutes out there and it's quite uncomfortable on anything that's exposed. Well, how, how, how long were you outside when you, uh, you, you got off the treadmill and you went out there with the, 
the tank top on and you showed off right. your your every man muscles and people were like, what the fuck, bro? Like, yeah, exactly. How, how, long, how long were you out there? I, I I was out there in total about 25 minutes. Dude. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say the first 20 of that though, I was riding my own body heat. You know, ah, like yeah. I, I felt yeah. plenty warm. I was totally toasty. Yeah. I did not even recognize what temperature it was. And my own sweat, I didn't, I wasn't sweating that much. So I wasn't like, you know, my own sweat wasn't freezing. So it was, a, you know, I felt okay. Uh, but certainly in, in those, like it didn't, it took mo- no more than five seconds for someone to go, are you, what are you doing? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I just came from a run. They're like, where were you running? <laughs> like, they, they have one <laughs> treadmill. Uh, uh, but, but certainly once my own body heat came back to normal uh, in those last five minutes, I'm like, Okay, it's 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 really cold. Yeah, it's really cold. <laughs> I feel like you didn't get sick, man. That would that could have gone. Oh, yeah. could have gone bad. That's uh. So so you know, a couple last questions here about Antarctica before we uh, we move on to the. I mean, you got to, we could we could spend a whole hour and a half talking about just that, man. But um, what was like the most challenging aspect of of the whole experience for you? I think I think it would be the the survivalist aspect that I experienced the the night we were on the ice uh this was uh, a lot of newness to me I uh you know it's about as raw as it could get uh you first off you're you're out in the elements only separated by this tiny you know thin layer of uh cloth uh you're building this tent on ice so you pack the ice just to lay on this hard ice ultimately uh you have to be incredibly careful not to get any moisture in that tent because your body heat's going to melt it and if the temperature ultimately in the middle of the night drops below freezing anything that melted is going to freeze again Mm -hmm. uh and and so you you do have real risk for frostbite if you sleep too long on something that's you know wet so any socks, for instance, that might have like some sweat in them, get them off. Uh, this kind of thing. So there, there definitely is some some risk that you need to uh, to mit- mitigate. Uh, ultimately, uh, the uh, it's a, the windiest location I'd ever set up a tent as well. And so, uh, like, you know, a lot of us have tents that have you know these pieces to them that we don't use or maybe they have like an extra area you can stab down to the ground and you forget about it you're like um it's fine like you need everything you need everything <laughs> you're given uh, and uh, and you find extra sticks to to try to secure your uh, your tent uh and then uh and then not to mention the fact that since you are leaving no trace you you know you have to prepare for the situation so you you purposely drink less water you eat less food during the day uh, and, uh, and fortunately you do have, uh, plenty of water available for you. If you get thirsty, you just grab some snow and put it in your mouth. Yeah. Did you get uh, any of that good stuff? Oh yeah. You, yeah, you, you can eat the, uh, Antarctic snow. I'm surprised I, uh, they let you do that. I mean, I mean, ultimately that's, uh, there's going to be more. Pretty- was that? It replenishes itself, so I guess it's not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Give it 24 hours, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's back. <laughs> well, one thing that, uh, but uh, from like a sustainability, sustainability and a conservation standpoint, in part of leaving no trace, any hole you create with your shoes needs to be filled, mm. because uh, any hole that you're creating becomes a huge hazard for penguins. Uh, oh man! So what are you like going happens. behind yourself with a broom and like sweeping it? 
Uh, you can do a shuffle. Uh, it, when you're walking, you, you actually can shuffle more than taking like big steps. Uh, and so you end up like creating more like a, like a ski like line. Ah. Um, but certainly there were some heavier individuals that on the trip and they were making real, uh, re- real big, you know, uh, divots in the ground where penguins would have a problem. And, uh, and it was a tough situation because, you know, you, you don't want to create these, but it, some of them are inevitable. And then how do you fix it? You know, right. you, you just make another step, which makes more, uh, yeah. And so, you gotta like uh, walk in one direction and walk the same direction on the way back. It, that's 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 clever too. Uh, what uh, the way uh, the way we do, we're doing it though, the the last people to go out uh, had to essentially wipe uh, it clean. So essentially, like you can use the side of your foot to uh, try to to fill any holes that were created. We also were given shovels, and so uh, you could use the shovel to uh, smooth out your path. Jeez, what happens That's if so you like cool, spill though, like a like an MRE on the ground? Like, are you like oh, like you gotta get it, you gotta like get it off the ground, like or can it like can some tang go into the ice? Well, I I, I miss this. Whew. Uh, <laughs> so like, if you had like if you're eating something right, and you're you're, I guess you wouldn't be eating when you're on the ice, right? You cannot. Yeah. So that's really what I'm saying. Right. Like, if you spilled like a Gatorade, mm. you know, how would you? Yeah, I guess you so, uh, would have to get it out of the ice, right? Well, uh, uh, you know, simpler than this, uh, you can't even bring anything besides water. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, the only exception, actually, uh, was, I think there were a few individuals on the trip who needed some medication. Uh, and so they were able to bring their medication with them onto the ice. But otherwise, you can only bring bottled water and uh yeah, so that, that's a kind of part of the challenge too. Like for the time that you're on the ice, you're fasting. Dude, I got two questions though. One, were you ever scared at any point? No. No. I, I, I honest. Uh, I I think the we were given good instruction, and uh, and we were given the right t- tools to to be successful. Uh. Also, I mean, there's some part of it. Also, keeping a keeping a positive attitude, being excited about mm-hmm. what, what you're doing, yeah. and uh, and certainly I was enjoying myself, and it was very fun, and uh, I I felt very lucky to be part of it, and uh, I certainly there was an incredible amount of newness and things that I had to you know get out of my comfort zone and try and uh, and and slowly get gain comfort with, but but at no point was I feeling nervous or scared. Second question. Give me because I am a people person and I love everybody. Did you make any new friends, man? Mm, good mm. question. I like this. Uh, uh, yes, uh, oh, yes. Uh, there, uh, there were uh, a few people my age, and uh, and uh, this uh, from all over the world too. Uh, the uh, the couple of individuals that I, I got closest to on the trip, uh, one was from uh, Norway. And the other was from Australia. Cool. Yeah, it was just like this uh, very international collaboration that was fun. And uh, everyone's working together toward a, a single goal. Uh, very cool. Yeah. And ultimately these, uh, uh, you know, not the best, not the best of friends. Ultimately, I'm not communicating with these people every day, but uh, yeah, these are, uh, these are new contacts of mine that I can reach out to if I ever get to these locations. 
It's pretty sweet, dude. Always, ma- always making connections. Daryl would have been coming home with five penguins. You know, they were- <laughs> 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 That's right. he'd have a whole new he'd have a whole new Stay gang in the bag. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, so so last last two questions about this uh, about this here topic. So you know, we talked about it again, episode thirty eight here in the archives, uh, way back in the pre uh, uncertain circumstances era. Um, I, I just have to ask. You know, I have to. Um, did you see the ice wall? Is there an ice wall? Mm. Uh, I mean, this experience on the treadmill <laughs> is probably the closest I would experience to an ice wall, just more of a, a wall of fog. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, to everyone's shock, uh, the world to this, you know, coming from this perspective astronaut, the world <laughs> is a uh, spherical uh, and... Uh, <laughs> And, End uh, of story. There, we finally got to find. I got an yeah. answer on it. I needed. I needed to know somebody who went. You know, to to really just put that to yeah, bed. No right. ice wall. Right. No dragons. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So the the, the follow up well, there would be. I'm yeah, sorry. The follow up to that would be. You know, if there's no ice wall, was there any? You know, discovered Nazi bases or anything of that ilk? Any any astronauts? Any hollow Earth? Like uh, situations, ancient creatures, nothing, nothing of the sort. There, there. Uh, perhaps to people's surprise, there were like, areas of industry on Antarctica. Uh, there was a, a big whaling industry, and by big, I mean like we're talking about uh, dozens, dozens of people. But there, there was a whaling industry uh, in parts of Antarctica decades ago, and uh, and we actually got to visit. Uh, one of the uh, one of the areas that uh, that was more or less like the capital of Antarctica, and uh, it's Antarctica. I mean, you're you are in the middle of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> but there's but, a cabin. Uh, but yeah, there there's some uh, some rusted cabin, uh, and then there also were uh, uh, oil derricks because uh, that's uh-huh. what they would do. They would burn the uh, the whale blubber and use it as fuel. Uh, and so that was that was very interesting to see these uh, decade old uh, or like a, almost at this point, uh, maybe 80, 70 or 80 year old oil derricks that uh, were from a different time in Antarctica. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. That is cool. And that would be kind of like, again, I'm, I have to use a movie reference, but like pitch black or something where you're like on this alien world. And then all of a sudden you discover like, oh, my God, there's been people right. here like this is weird. Like I thought I was going to be just penguins. That's uh, that's pretty that's pretty crazy, man. No, definitely. And yeah, if we hadn't gotten the briefing saying what we were about to experience, it would be surreal. It would be like I thought we were far away from civilization here. This is this is this looks decently civilized, or at least it used to. Yeah, it but, turns uh, out they just snuck you to Alaska instead. You thought you were going one way, they took you up the other way. Yeah, my Google Maps was all turned around. <laughs> yeah, you, you you had your map quests upside down or something. Uh, man, that's awesome. And and again, you know, guys guys and gals listening to this um, this conversation, you know, check out those videos. They're in the show notes. Really cool, uh, really cool insight. And also, really just your cool. YouTube channel in general, man. I I found myself kind of cruising through it uh, this afternoon, checking out your your cross country flight, you know, videos and just yeah. your just all your adventures. You're like a modern. Uh, you're just a modern man. I'm not going to compare you to anybody. You are you, man. It's a, it's impressive. So, Thank you. Um, I want to let everybody know that he edited those and shot those. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a like, man. Like I said, you're a qualified man. That should just be your ridiculous your thing. You know, that. Dylan Dickstein, qualified man. Uh, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. Watch them. Love it. 
Yeah, thank you. So, um, you know, you're wearing this sweet NASA windbreaker. And, you know, obviously, as we talked about previously, um, you've had some involvement with SpaceX and, and working in that aerospace industry. And uh, this past summer, we had a really cool event. And it was very, Good. it was historic. And it was something... Uh, that, you know, on the surface level, you know, I think, I think people in general now are very cynical uh, overall. And it's one of those things that could have just been lost in the weeds. But, you know, I'm talking about SpaceX Falcon 9 launch, you know, launch for America, taking NASA astronauts to the International Space Station on a rocket that was designed and built in America. Not relying on anybody else, you know, well, other people involved, but it was, it was an American venture. Um, what, what is that, what does that mean for the country? What does that mean for, you know, space travel, our future? What does all that mean? It's uh, it's an amazing step forward. Uh, you know, the first time in about 10 or 11 years that we've done this. And, uh, and ultimately the, it's also something that I personally worked on. I, uh, I had 16 parts on that vehicle. Nice. And, I, and I personally knew the two astronauts on board, Bob Benkin and Doug Hurley, were uh, two of the first astronauts I ever met. And uh, wow. they, were, they were the ones that actually inspired me to be on this path myself, truly. Those, those two individuals are, are, are really the facilitators of that. And, uh, but as a, as a mission, it's, it's super important because it gives us a lot of flexibility to create our own objectives and uh, our own timelines. And... Uh, and inspire, you know, other countries to uh, to try to keep up and follow suit. And uh, it's it's not, uh, you know, it's not like oh we did this. We're the only ones that can do this. No, I mean ultimately, like uh, plenty of countries can uh, can achieve something like this. But it ultimately does take the right mission, the right level of collaboration, and. Uh, and the right technical expertise and SpaceX has those things and does it really, really well. I, I really felt lucky to work there and to be part of that crew dragon vehicle. But then you also need the right training in the actual, in the crew, the astronauts on board are, are some of the best in the business. Uh, Bob Bankton and Doug Hurley are, are seasoned astronauts who uh, were fearless through the, the whole experience. Uh, uh, Bob is a, a test pilot by training and uh and it showed because these both these individuals uh kept their calm in in a in a, in a rather um difficult situation it's uh it's incredibly new the the first time that any any individual had ever ridden this vehicle it had been launched before without humans but uh but to be the first humans inside that vehicle that's that takes some guts and uh and they did it really really well it was, you know, I'm, I've always had an appreciation for, you know, sp space travel, just the idea of it, you know, and, and kind of the, the more philosophical end of it, I guess, you know, I'm interested in just what it means, you know, for, for humanity. And then, you know, you're right, there are, there's obviously a lot of spacefaring, you know, civilizations, the Russians, we've been doing it for a while, the Russians have been doing it, but for me, what I think was so amazing about this was like, I saw this in real time from SpaceX not being a thing to we did it. And totally. like, just if you boil it down 
to that idea, you know, there's plenty of people that'll tell you how, how something can't be done or like, it's never going to work because we've been doing it like this for 30 years, pal. It's never going to work. And then you go, well, I hear you, but we're going to do it and we're going to see what happens anyway. And like that in a nutshell, man, is what, you know, we, we, we talk about here on the Everyman podcast, whether it's somebody who's getting ready to for the NFL draft, like, like we had guests on in the spring or, you know, um, former NFL quarterbacks or, you know, yourself just as an adventurer and a scientist and all the things that you do. Like if you don't have that perspective of, yeah, but I'm gonna, you know, you got to reevaluate how you're setting your, your tone because like, this is an example of, of like, uh, you know, part of my French. Cause you know, I know the other cool thing of, I was just thinking, you know, hopefully NASA checks out some of this podcast. You got a good, you got a good boy here. He's a good man. Yeah, dude. So this ends up in the review process. Just you're hearing it from us. We approve. Um, references here. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he two references. Right exactly. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but like, you're in it, man, and you're doing it, and you're and you're an example of it every day. Whether it's you're you're your flying a plane from San Diego to Pomona or whatever, or you're scuba diving, you're hanging with penguins, you're going to Antarctica, man. It's just it's that can-do attitude that people have lost sight of, and I just uh, it's why I love talking to you, man. Thank you, and uh, and the the you know uh, what's exciting too, I, I think. Maybe the right way to also view about the view these things is, uh, I think some sometimes people dwell too much on the, on like reaching an objective, and they like want to celebrate that. Uh, it's uh, you you need to uh, recognize your milestones, but I I think uh, being able to uh, to swallow that excitement and uh, and and realize that you're not done. Oh yeah, is 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 just as exciting too. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, it's cool that, I, uh, you know, if if uh, it'd be one thing if SpaceX set out to uh, be the first private company to send uh, humans to space, you know, they wouldn't be a company today. Uh, at least they could be. Uh, they reach they reach their end game, and they're they're done. Uh, even though they've done amazing things to get there, they've already broken so many records. But they uh, they set such a big goal for themselves to be the first company to get to to have humans get to mars and to colonize this planet such an incredibly large goal super unlikely uh when they first started and then to be able to bite off the amount of risk you know in succession to be able to set the right checkpoints and then achieve them over and over this is unbelievable and uh and for people to and this is this is something we should also see in in more people the ability to dream massively, uh, but also be able to recognize when you uh, have reached a milestone within it. But don't stop there. Let yourself really continue toward that big, big dream. Hell yeah. I, dude, hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah, indeed. Yeah. And, you know, last time we had a conversation, man, I said to you, like, how far out are we? You know, and I think you said somewhere around like 2035 or something like that. Maybe. Maybe I'm. Yeah, I I think this is, I think this is reasonable. So, I mean, you know, a lot has changed, you know, in the world in general, obviously aerospace is still trucking this whole time, uncertain circumstances or not. Um, Do you think 
that's still you still believe it you still think that's going to happen yes uh yeah i think this is a this is a reasonable timeline uh we uh ultimately it's a two and change year mission uh, it's about 26 months or so that earth and mars align and we'd like to get to mars uh somewhere away from the solar maximum essentially the, the sun has an 11-year cycle and uh it was just announced today by the way that we're in uh, the next cycle uh so we uh, we reached our minimum in december of, of 2019 and it, it the sun kind of uh changes quite a bit uh, when it's uh, reaching its bottom and its top. So it's hard to tell exactly when you've reached these points. But officially, uh, it's been announced that today we have created the, the the solar minimum, the least amount of activity in the sun. And these are the times you want to fly deep space. Because uh, if you are trying to travel from here to Mars or, or anywhere away from an atmosphere, you want as little solar activity to give you as little radiation as possible. And so this is also a part of the timeline too. And, uh, and this kind of tracks us toward the mid 2030s as the time to start heading that direction uh, in order to not have our astronauts there at a solar maximum. Wow. How much more technology do we need to, to actually make the trip? Do you think from your expert a opinion? Lot. Uh, I mean, like, uh, the, you know, from a quantitative, you know, not to be too quantitative about it, but it's, it, there need to still be significant advances, uh, especially with regard to, uh, to how we're going to create the gases that we need to live as humans uh, and the liquids, namely water and oxygen. And, uh, and these are heavy, unless you can create them yourself. And you can. Uh, there are ways to synthesize water and oxygen uh but uh but these processes aren't aren't simple on earth let alone you know to try to do these things somewhere else uh so you you need more efficient uh systems that can do this you you also need a really robust way of protecting people from the radiation because uh without a thick atmosphere like we have here on earth you you would actually have uh some real real massive issues with, uh, with our skin uh, and the way that it'll be affected by the radiation. Th there are some solutions to this, though. You, you can live behind a wall of water. Water does a very good job at, uh, at, at uh, limiting your radiation exposure. And same with well, living behind a wall of lead. This is tough because lead's very heavy. You don't want to bring lead with you to space. <laughs> I was just thinking uh, the irony of like you traveling all the way to Mars and then you have to live under... Like you have to right. live in a water wall, you know, like it's just, yeah, yeah. it's like a really, sh really <laughs> shitty turn of events. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, you can still do your EVA, but you have to limit your exposure quite a bit. Right. Uh, uh, humans are designed incredibly well for the planet we live on. We, we do it better than anything else. Uh, you know, we, we think about the other species that we're sharing this, this rock with and you know, we're, we're, we're the only ones creating uh, laws. We're the only ones that, that have written language, right? Like we, we don't have much competition here on earth to, uh, to really define us as humans over whatever that next species is. And, uh, it's cause we're, 
we're equipped incredibly well for the place where we live, Mars is very different. And so are any other planet and, uh, and other celestial body in the universe. And uh, even these uh, places that we think of as like Earth 2.0, like these uh, planets we're finding very far away from us that look, a lot, like, look like us have liquid water, guaranteed we'd have trouble living there. Uh, but, uh, but this is yeah where the right technology comes into play, and, it, and it's coming. Uh, but uh, we we do need a little bit more time to uh, to check out these systems. And you still want to go? Certainly. I if I yeah I, this is uh, this is my you know big big dream, uh, and I I won't stop till that check final checkpoint is reached. Does so you talked about massive goals and you know just speculating of course. Do you think that Mars really is? the big massive goal that he's got in mind, I'm speaking about Elon and, and SpaceX, or do you think that, that they're thinking even beyond that? The, okay. Let, let's say, let's say in the thirties we do get to Mars first boots on Mars, you know, the, um, this amazing event. First time in history, a human has been on a new planet. Uh, this is, you know, step one in this big process of colonizing the planet. But it, it it will take generations to fully colonize Mars. That's uh, and that, and that will ultimately be a, an international effort with many private companies and many government government organizations contributing to this. SpaceX is just trying to be the first to get there, uh, but they, they're not going to do it alone. And uh, but if if this all happens, and uh, you know. Uh, instead of the $2 trillion companies today like Apple and Amazon, if SpaceX is worth $2 trillion, having been this private, com- this private company to take us to the, to the new planet and colonize it, it probably has the technology to go elsewhere. So uh, I think that you're, you're right to think that uh, if we can get to Mars and we can do it consistently, you can go other places too. Because really, what's the, the only thing that's stopping you at that point is just like human lifespan and you know your and, your ability and, ability to adapt. Right, uh, distance wise, Mars is about as close to us as the sun is, uh, and uh, if you want to go further, uh you know, we're, we're talking like maybe twice the distance. It takes about nine months to get to Mars. So, you know, we're, we're still talking within a year or two years to get to the next thing, whether it be Europa or Titan, these moons of Jupiter and Saturn. I, I, I have high confidence that in the existence of the human species, we will also uh, step foot on these places too. I saw... I want to ask you about this this story that's been going on about Venus and the, the detecting something in the in the atmosphere that could indicate biological life. What do you what's going on there with that? Can you can you explain that to a simpleton like myself? Yeah, it's uh, this is not my area of expertise. Uh, I'll, I'll forward with that, but uh, but ultimately we do have similar things on on Mars. Uh, we there. There's a good chance that there are microbes or bacteria on other planets, uh, and uh, 
the big news with Venus, as we, as you mentioned, was uh, that these chemical signatures uh, were found for uh, for Venus, our second planet to the sun. And that's very exciting, ultimately, because we saw something similar uh, announced a year or two ago with Mars. And uh, if we're seeing that with Venus, then, you know, other other Jovian planets, uh, other rocky planets probably have these uh, these sorts of things, too. So it's it's uh, maybe not the you know, exciting contact that we're looking for with, uh, you know, uh, aliens coming to us or us making contact with aliens. Like we're talking about truly like things that would live on your skin that you wouldn't even recognize that are there. Like we have billions of bacteria on us and we don't even know their names. Uh, this is the kind of life that we're seeing on that we suspect live on Venus and Mars. You, you unless you have the right uh, equipment, you wouldn't even know they're there. But uh, but it is exciting because what it does tell us is that life ultimately can survive on on these places that we as humans cannot, you know, without the right technology. Life will find a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, and it does very well. So, you know, something that Daryl and I have been talking about a lot, and it kind of, it, there's a broader kind of element to this idea. And I kind of feel like we're in the middle of some sort of like change right now. Change in, you know, society on a, on a bunch of different levels, a change in kind of perception of, of those kind of things, but also a perception of the, of nature. Like there's, there's, I feel like there's, there's like a this kind of awakening happening in a lot of different areas all at the same time. And then you couple that with like things like, uh, you know, the SpaceX successful launch and, you know, um, more and more companies coming together to do these, you know, we talked about James Cameron and his space mining and stuff. And, you know, Jeff Bezos is in it and Robert Branson is in it. And, you know, right now there's probably some billionaire. We have never, we don't even know their name. They're getting into it. Um, then you have like kind of in the spring, um, you know, the department of defense and, and the Pentagon put out kind of like sort of acknowledged that there's study of, you know, they call them unidentified aerial phenomenon. Now UAPs, you know, UFOs, UAP, same thing. And, you know, more and more people are going up, you know, whether it's homemade weather balloons or homemade rockets with GoPros or fucking David Blaine. Did you guys see that David Blaine holding on to balloons? Guy's a loon and I love it. 24,000 feet and then uh, came down on his under parachute. Yeah, it was amazing. I don't know if you saw him on Joe Rogan recently, but if you haven't, please watch it. Everybody listening and Dylan, yourself included, man. Totally new respect for that guy. He's got the fucking man. But more and more people are going up. More and more cameras are going up. Um, and then you got the Pentagon saying, yeah, look, the thing in this video was actively jamming, you know, Commander Fravor's F-18 here. Um, it's not ours. We don't know what it is. I feel like we're heading closer and closer to some sort of like official acknowledgement of like, look, we don't know what they are, but we're studying them, you know, or, or we've, we've documented it. Like, what is your take kind of on that? Cause I'm sure you've been paying attention to it as, as somebody who wants to go up into the stars. Now, all of a sudden the New York times is, is running major stories about how this is a real thing. Um, what, what's your take on all that? 
if, if we're talking about uh, alien life and making contact, uh, my my scientist has to come out strong and uh, and say, you know, not not to burst anyone's bubble, but we it you will know in the most amazing way when we have first contact. That, yeah, that's kind of what I'm it, thinking. It's not going to be this subtle thing that only a few people are aware of and that it's like this hush-hush, uh, exciting thing that we need to uncover. It will be fantastic. It will be the craziest thing to happen that decade, and everyone will know about it quickly. Uh, it, I, as much, I think, as we enjoy to think of the idea as, as aliens having already come and that it's like this... Uh, secretive idea when it happens you will know like a hurricane hit you Mm. and uh, it will be amazing it it will change the course of humans history because we will change everything about how we live to uh, to better understand what we're experiencing how to communicate with them uh whether we're afraid of them i mean if you you think covid stopped uh american economy what do you think uh aliens would do you know you think anybody's going to pay the pay the goddamn electric bill or you know right. going to work that day i don't think so and and you know governments would want uh ultimately like you know international governments would would like to uh have companies work on uh you know understanding them and you'd have like linguists uh, uh, being tasked with like you know and like decoding what they're saying or things like this, you, you you would have a global effort, just like we're seeing today with COVID, when this global effort to stay healthy and to come up with a you know a, a vaccine. I I, I definitely uh, and I wouldn't call sci-fi, but I I would say that there are other explanations for these sort of uh, mysterious happenings outside of uh, extraterrestrial life. I, I would say when we when we do have uh, if and when in uh, in the course of the human species uh, that we come in contact with another intelligent life, it will be fantastic. Believe it. Well, I believe it. More more so though, the thing I'm kind of really focused on is the aircraft. If they're saying, yeah, it's not ours. It's not a naval piece of equipment. It's not the Air Force. It's not this. It's not that. You know. And then is it like, are these tests, test planes, you know, in the same way that when people, let me just say, 4th of July, okay, we had a social distance barbecue, okay, Mm -hmm. and uh, just a couple people, it was great, great time. We're outdoors. Now, we're in the Philadelphia area, right outside Philadelphia, and uh, they had done a organized a flyover of the Liberty Bell um, with the stealth bomber and uh, F-22s and an AC-130. Now, they had done the, the Blue Angels a couple months before, and my, our home is literally on the flight path. We could look out our backyard, and they are there hanging at like 50 feet. Like, it, was, it seemed like 50 feet from the ground. Right. It was insane watching these things go. So we're all excited. We're like, holy shit. I'm going to see, I've never seen a stealth bomber. And I'm like, it's 4th of July. I love this country. And I'm going to see a stealth bomber. 
and I got my family and my friends here. It's going to be wonderful, okay? All of a sudden, you hear this thing coming, and we all look up, and when I saw that thing for the first time, and the way it's coming, it was because it was, we're standing like this, and it's coming parallel, and, and the shape of it, the sound of it, the way that the light doesn't really reflect off of it because it just mm-hmm. like sucks the light into it. It's very strange. It looks like it's one shape and then it gets next to you and then it looks like it's another shape. And then as it's going away, it's like kind of like a V and you're like, I think I know what I just saw. But like if I, if I had no idea that that existed and it's 1989, you know, when they were testing those things out in Nevada and you're like, oh, that's a UFO for sure. That's an alien. But then you see it now, and now that we know it exists, it's still amazing. It's still unbelievable to see fly through the air. Because, like, sure. I'm just, I don't know if, if you've ever had that experience. Poor Daryl yes. missed it by, like, 20 minutes. I missed it. And, I missed it. And, we're, and we're all, so like, late. like, we were just clapping and, like, freaking out like little kids because it was just so, so cool. So I, I think about my experience looking at that, right? And then I think about, like, well... I could put myself in, in somebody's shoes, like some test, you know, aircraft or whatever. I have no idea what it is. And there it is. Oh, it must be an alien, you know? And, and I would think maybe from your perspective, you would be like as a pilot, you know, as, as a kind of a, a guy that seeks new experiences, you'd be like, yeah, well, I want to fly it. Or I want to like, I want to see it. I want to find out how it works. You know, be, like as if there's this, if we have this kind of stuff that's doing that, I would love like the same way you're talking about the international industry getting involved in the, the language of aliens and the, you know, they'd be selling advertising to them in no time, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, just what doesn't that interest you that there's like, not necessarily that it's aliens, but like there's some massive leap forward in technology that we're just kind of on the cusp of getting to understand. <laughs> The, 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 I guess where, where I, where I come into play is there, there already are select individuals who have security clearances that no information that most of us will never know. Uh, and, uh, there are plenty of people in, in my industry who, who do have some of these clearances, top secret clearances. They have access to the black projects. Uh, these are planes and jets that you and I have never heard of. And, uh, they are proper, uh, properly, uh, briefed on not talking about them. And so it doesn't surprise me that there are, uh, there's evidence of, uh, technology out there that we're, we're unaware of or things that feel like they're decades ahead of us because they are there. They, they, they exist. Uh, and, uh, no matter what position you are in, it doesn't matter if you're the president of the United States, there are going to be things out there that you are unaware of. Right. And, uh, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, you, you have, uh, you know, starry eyed college students coming up with this new invention that, you know, some, some other top secret organization came up with 20 years ago. There's something else we're unaware of. And I'll tell you what. And it's been on my mind this whole time. What's that? Dylan, you're a badass. What's the love life like, man? Talk, love talk, life? 
Love life, man. Just just throw it out there, man. We've been unaware of it for two episodes now. I want to know, man. Yeah, because yeah, I'd imagine you're tank you... tops on boats. You're 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 part editor. You're 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 going off, you know, to the 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 southernmost reaches of the world. Talk to us about the love life, man. They gotta be they gotta be beating you down, man. They're 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 hanging on your pants like, come on, please love me, Dylan. They have to. I need to know right now. Yeah, yeah, and I and unfortunately I. Uh... Uh, I'll give you this. See, it's, uh, yeah, it's in there. Listen, don't put the man on the spot like that. He's he's got to keep his Dylan options is open. A badass, he can talk about this. What what I will share, because I'm a gentleman, I my man uh, is I'm, I'm a romantic guy, and uh, and uh, I I treat women with respect. Of course you do. And uh, I, uh, you know, I. COVID's a tough time for any relationship, but uh, but I'm not void of them. My man, a diplomatic answer. And you know, before before Daryl before Daryl uh, hit that there, I was going to say, you know, I imagine if someone uh, was briefed on how to, you know, carefully answer those types of questions, similar to this one you just answered, that'd probably <laughs> be the way to do it. <laughs> just saying. Just saying that was that you know if I were briefing someone I'd brief them like that, um, yeah I, man. You can't, I, I, I appreciate the uh, the uh, positive thinking and uh, <laughs> uh, I, uh, I'm glad you have a you know a positive outlook on what my life life might may or may not be like. My man, exactly. Smooth shit, boy. Smooth. I exactly. Knew. Exactly. Well, you know NASA's going to be listening to this, Daryl. We got to be careful. So. Um, you know, well, they're going to know he's smooth. That's right. That's well, they, they already knew know. that. They already knew that. <laughs> so, you know, I think, uh, and, and the cool thing they talk about Space Force, you know, on, on at first glance, much like everything kind of um, today, it's, it was a political thing at first, and we're not going to get into that because we don't really get into that here. But um, the longer it stayed in conversation, a lot of people were like, well, actually, you know, not the worst idea, you know, uh, we were already operating in space in a bunch of different ways. It's kind of consolidating it all into one nice little structure. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of, you talk about recruitment and, and, you know, getting people interested in either military service or science or just, just more in general. I mean, that, that's kind of a hot idea. Like if I was a, a healthy, you know, high schooler, not really sure what I want to do, I might be like, you know what, maybe I'll go in the air force and then I can get into space force. Like, it's pretty sweet. Sounds cool. Is that something that interests you at all, Space Force? That whole idea, since you since you're kind of or you're more interested in the the, the science end of uh, the operation from a government uh, organizational standpoint. Yeah, like, I think I think I think that, well, I think the Space Force is great. Mm -hmm. I I think uh, I think this does send the right message to uh, pe uh, especially young people who are are looking at uh, maybe not so sure what they want to do with their careers and. I think uh, I think while the upfront cost is is pretty pretty high to uh, to take you know parts of existing branches and spin it off into a new branch, I think in the long run this is uh, this is the right move, and uh, and what the space force is today is largely the uh, portions of the air force space command that already were doing space like activities, but right. of course there's much more to come. Personally. I, I have to choose how I spend my time, of course, and uh, and 
ultimately, if I, as a late undergrad college student years ago, when I was first thinking about would I would I make a good astronaut? Is it worth my time to pursue? Do I think I have any chance? Uh, and then coming to the conclusion, yeah, I think I think I do. I think I would have a chance if I put the right effort into it. Uh, but in terms of the strategy of how to get there, there really are two different paths. Either you are in the armed forces or you're a civilian. And I believe that given my interests and my skills, I would have a better chance if I came at it from a civilian standpoint. Makes sense. Because I imagine we- you're adding a whole, I mean, I was reading about specifically like the Blue Angels. Like I went on their website and I'm reading the bios of these pilots and it's like the guy was a golden glover in first grade. And then, you know what I mean? And it just continues like where he was a three sport varsity athlete. Like these guys that get to that level of military service um, that are in those positions, like it's a, they've, they've started a long time ago um, and they've just been doing all that stuff. And I could see how there would be two ways to kind of go and you got to right. pick which one is like for your strengths. Yeah, and and uh, lately, uh, in the last couple of rounds of the astronaut selection, y- you almost have fifty-fifty now. You you have uh, if you have eight to twelve people being selected every four years for the program, you do see four to six being civilian, and uh, and and so you you do have quite a bit of representation from both sides, and there are plenty of people who would have a better chance of. Uh, of becoming an astronaut if they join the military and become a test pilot uh, versus other people who, who might have a better shot being a payload specialist and training, uh, becoming the best PhD student they could be and, uh, and get the pilot license privately. I guess it's, things have come a long way because there used to only be the one route, which was, you know, test pilot right. military service. And, and we still have other astronaut cores that do require military service uh canada being one of them uh they typically have two uh a male and a female astronaut selected uh every four years roughly and uh and they tend to all have a military background so as we as we wind down here um you you just kind of brought it up a little bit that the nasa process so where are you in that process as much as you can talk about sure uh in, in March of this year, uh, 12,000 12, people applied to the NASA astronaut selection. They changed the requirements a little bit this year. The, the numbers would have been higher uh, for a number of applicants, but they required a master's this time. And so anyone who had a bachelor's but thought they could apply no longer have that opportunity. Uh, but still 12,000 people applied, and, uh, and they've trimmed it down to... Uh, an unknown number. I, I don't know myself, uh, but some, somewhere probably around 400 to 500 people. And, uh, and ultimately I, I have made it to that next round. So I, I am in that, uh, in that, in the current, um, gr- group. So you're still in there. And still in there. And, boss. Uh, yeah. Straight uh, boss. Right. And so they, these 400 or 500 people are having all of their recommenders contacted. You have to have five recommenders and, uh, and then based upon what they think of you already and then what your recommenders say, they'll choose roughly 120 people to invite to the next round. And these are the semifinalists who interview in person at NASA Johnson. Wow. 
So all, you know, all said and done, when do you think this process, how long does it take to get to that point? It, it's long. Uh, it can take a year and a half, potentially. And uh, from the initial application point, especially with COVID, making it tough for people to interview in person. So uh, I, I, it's reasonable that the end of next year, like late 2021 uh, is when we'll hear who those lucky 12 or so people are. Wow. So like I said, man, um, we've come a long way since the last time we, we talked and the last time we talked, we ended it with, you know, like what's next, what are you doing next? And you're like, oh, I'm going to Antarctica. And then we got to hear all about it. So I posed to you, my brother, the same question as last time, uh, with the expectation that you will come back on and tell us all about it. So what is next, uh, for the most qualified man, Dylan Dick's team? Thank you. I, yeah. And, 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 and... Again, it's been an honor to be back with you guys. Thank you for inviting me back to talk about uh, the one-year update. That's right. I'm, I'm happy to be here. And, uh, and I'm glad that we're all in video now. It's yes. Mm -hmm. we, get to, we get to see our beautiful faces. That's right. Yeah. And that jacket. I, I'm, I, I, anybody listening to the audio-only version of this, you're missing out just, if anything, for the jacket. Check it out. Yeah. It's, it's oh, so yeah. Sick. I'm going to order one immediately. I... Ultimately, what I'm part of is a it's a competition, right? You're 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 vying against other qualified people for a job, and uh, and it's it's a very unique job application, right? Like it requires very unique skills, and uh, but uh, you have to respect the organization who uh, who does that selecting. They do it better than anyone else, and. Uh, Ultimately, I am doing my best effort to be the best applicant I can be. I, I believe in myself that I would make a good astronaut. And uh, I'm doing everything I can to, to prove that on paper and to show that in person. And uh, if, it, if, it, if NASA ends up agreeing with me, then I, I'd be happy to, to be uh, selected for this uh, 2021 year. But if it doesn't happen, I, you have to appreciate the process and, and uh, recognize that they know who who the best astronauts are, and they they knew they know what qualities they need to have uh, in their recruits. So ultimately, uh, these this next year for me is continuing to better myself, to uh, get outside my comfort zone, to keep flying, to keep scuba diving. Should be scuba diving later this month. I'll be flying much more this fall, uh, and to keep pushing that boundary and to take calculated risk and to, uh, to keep learning. And uh, if it ends up being me as, the, as one of the people that NASA feels would be uh, a good astronaut, then I will accept that job. But I, I have to be okay with the fact that they know what qualities are best. Dylan, you, <laughs> just when I think, man, I can't be any more like just – in awe of, of you as a guy, like you, you're humble and, you, and to have that kind of a gracious perspective on a decision-making process like that is like incredible. It's incredible. And, um, as somebody who's grown up in a in a, in a, in a world of music where you're constantly being judged and competing for spots and to have that kind of perspective on what you're going through and, and what your goals are, man, is it inspires me. And I know it inspires our listeners. Um, you know, I can speak for Daryl on this, man. You've got it. You're, we know where you're headed and, you know, 
all the support and all the energy and all the love, you know, uh, from the Everyman podcast here, man, uh, to you. And this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. And uh, you're the man. And uh, just keep it going, brother. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah.